See, how'd you guys let me beat you on that one? Come on. There's no liars in this game. Just players. The seat taken. Nobody's in the seat that I ain't taking, friend. So this is, uh, Sabak? Sabak. Sabak. Got it. You played before? A couple times, yeah. Captain Lindo Karazin. On solo. Looks like you're uh, having a good day. I'm a lucky guy. Can I ask you a question, Captain Calrissian? Anything, Han? It's Han, but that's okay. I heard a uh, story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Leclerc and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 287, Secret Battle of Pretend. I am as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Moloch to my Lady Proxima. Don't give it up behind, he's not worth it. We have Carl LeClaire. <laughs> oh, new voice for you, Jason. I'm very excited about this. That was pretty oh, spot on. And I know you lo- love your Moloch. I do. Molek is great. I actually went out and bought my first five points of articulation action figure because he was Molek. Oh, nice. I didn't realize they were doing him. That's I fun. I didn't either. I found him at Walmart over the weekend. Oh, nice. <laughs> Good find. Well, Jason, we're not alone in uh, this episode of the Wampus Lair. No, Siri, we have one of our favorite Larians, um, a returning guest. It's the good old Katie Horn. Hey, cool kids. How you doing tonight? Cool kids. I, I think you're in the wrong <laughs> spot. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I walked in here with a bunch of Star Wars nerds. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Look out. Uh-oh. What's up, nerds? <laughs> uh, Jason, I'm imagining you all, you know, dripping with jewelry like Lady Proxima. <laughs> that's a, that's, oh, my gosh. That's actually you, a really good visual of Jason. That's a rock. It's a thermal you detonator. A, that's a rock. And you just made a clicking noise with your mouth. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that is my. That is literally one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's so funny. It's hilarious. So, oh my gosh! So we are back uh, for the for the last uh, of the solo run. We've been hitting solo the last few episodes. So tonight um, we are going to hit all of your responses to solo in general and we wanted to have you on katie because you had as always such a uh, brilliant level of insight as you often do in the message you sent to us and i was like you know what i feel like we need a guest let's get katie so and luckily you were available so um I'm oh really- thank you guys so much yeah so. for having me that's really sweet i'm glad you think i'm insightful when really the truth is is that i just sit here and think about this stuff too much i mean don't, don't we all <laughs> and, and to be fair And it's not to say that everyone that wrote in did not also have incredible insights because you did. And I can't wait to get into them um, with this episode because, as always, like the folks that that take the time to send these things in on our show are incredibly insightful, incredibly deep, bring a lot to 
to their thoughts on on these Star Wars films and are often like just bringing things up that I never noticed and I love that because it 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 gives me an excuse to go see it again. So, <laughs> uh, and any excuse to go see Solo again is a good excuse. I agree. Um, <laughs> but before we before we dive into all of your uh, your responses to uh, to Solo in general, we want to again start off by giving a, a big thank you to some of our latest iTunes reviewers. So we have a very kind review from Shrifan nine 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 Miles McKilvray and Shrump Khan. I love Shrump Khan. What a great name. Um, so thank you, all three of you, for your very kind reviews uh, over at the iTunes store. Um, and we've also gotten just even some new ratings. So, again, thank you to everyone who's taking the time to do that. Again, it just it really helps the show um, kind of become more visible in the iTunes store if people are looking for Star Wars podcasts. So we appreciate you sharing your love for the show and hopefully inviting others into that love fest, if you will. <laughs> um, so. So thank thank you all three of you for for taking the time to write those reviews. We really appreciate it. Um, but uh, before we go any further, I wanted to call the two of you out on something. Mainly because this is kind of the nice thing, Jason. About like when I sit down and make the notes, it's like <laughs> I have all the control. Um, you but do. Then, but then in a way, we start the episode, and I'm like, ah, Jason's the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mainly wanted to bring this up because it's it, it's something in particular that I really love, and then I'll in, invite you guys to share uh, something similar. And this is normally something we would say for a poll. And like I said a couple episodes ago, I really do want to get around to doing a mini episode on, on some of the stuff from the soundtracks. I absolutely love this soundtrack that John Powell has given us. It's such a beautiful score. Um, if you follow us on social media, you'll have seen that I took a picture of it. I haven't, Jason, I haven't bought a CD in 14 years, like a hard like. CD. Like I rarely pay for music. I have Spotify, so I don't really need to. But I love this score so much that I had to go out and buy a physical copy. And I, and I did that the other day. Um, and uh, there's a particular point in the in a, a particular track that I want to highlight really quickly as kind of my favorite musical moment from Solo, and then I'm going to invite the two of you to share maybe a favorite musical moment you might have. Now, granted, this is unfair because I had time to think about this, and I literally have the clip prepped because you know that's what I did. Um, so <laughs> sorry for that. But uh, and again, this will be a poll at some point down the pipe so that all of you can share yours. But. There is a particular, and it's 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 from the track that we were playing at the beginning of the the episode here. It's um, the track is called Marauders Arrive, so it's during the train heist, right after um, the Cloud Riders arrive with Enfys Nest. But it's a statement of so, of of the solo theme that is my favorite statement of the theme in the movie, and it comes at the one minute and twenty eight second mark in the. Uh, um, in the soundtrack. Now, by the way, I expect time signatures from both of you if you have a moment, by the way. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> th- this, is, this is honestly one of my favorite tracks in general on the soundtrack, but it's mainly because it has this great statement of the solo theme. So I'm going to play this just really quick. It's very short, but uh, here, here, here it is. It's from Marauders Arrive. It just gets me every time. It's so heroic, you know. Oh, I want to go run ten miles, like right. Yeah, now. I know, <laughs> I know. So it's the and where it comes actually in the movie is it's right after Rio gets shot, and you know they realize you know Beckett says he's not okay, and he kind of like slams the um, 
oh my gosh, why am I blanking on the name of that shit? A.T. Holler. A.T. Holler. He you know slams it down and. He looks at Han and he says, Han, and he goes, I got this. And he humps up and he's, he's like running up the steps, um, mainly because I don't do cardio. So maybe I just enjoy like the idea of being a heroic cardiovascular fit man. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's just this statement of the theme. And it's it's the first moment I feel like Han is being really heroic in the film. Um, yes, they're pulling off an illegal heist, but he's doing it with the intent of you know, gaining his freedom and going back for the girl he's loved. Like, that's always what drives Han. And there's this very heroic moment where he wants to go help Rio. He wants to go help this team by utilizing his gift. Um, and his gift is that of a pilot. So I just, I love it. It's just such a heroic statement of the theme. And, and again, John, and yes, John Williams wrote that particular theme, but John Powell does such a beautiful job of weaving it in, in and out of this movie throughout, which again is such a John Williams thing to do. It's a Star Wars right. thing to do, right? To weave themes in and out. So this just happens to be my favorite statement of it in the movie. And it just gets me going. Like you said, Katie, like I'm, I put that on oftentimes when I'm at the gym, which is rare that I have Star Wars music on at the gym. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, this is so good. And I just like rewind it because it's only like 20 seconds long. So I, I, should just, <laughs> I should just make an edit of that where it's like 10 minutes. So. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, just, I had to share that because I, I just absolutely love that particular moment, both in the film. But again, it's, it's so great because of the music that informs it. So I'm just curious, do either of you have a particular moment that stands out to you musically from the film as of right now? You want me to do it? I mean, I will. It's um, it's painfully on brand for me, but I, you know, I can't lie. <laughs> it's um, I, wait, so, you know, the, wait, wait, spoilers. I, 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 I'm foreseeing, I'm foreseeing <laughs> a horned man, and a and a whisper of Duel of the Fates. Am I correct? Do, 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 do. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Just oh. I, I, there's, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great music, a lot of great musical moments in this movie, but the one that like speaks to me, you know, um, I've seen this movie five times now, but that musically, when we get that little whisper of Duel of the Fates, um, just at the very end of Malt's cameo, that makes me want to like stand up and rip my chair out of the theater and just start <laughs> breaking everything because I can't handle it. Well, because like Katie's you know, driven to vandalism out of her love for Maul. <laughs> exactly, like it's it's a love that is like transformed into violence. Almost like well, I, to be fair, he's, he's quite violent, so <laughs> he, he would approve. He would. He would absolutely he'd be like yes, more. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's just like I, I have so so many emotions right now. I don't know what to do except destroy everything. <laughs> Oh, but um, because like for reals though, Duel of the Fates like as a score it has always been bigger than Maul. It was never meant to be his theme, and this is the first time we've ever had it used specifically as his theme. And that like it just makes my heart just you know it brings warm feelings to my heart, as they would say. <laughs> and because like in a way, Maul has become bigger than that song people remember that song as his theme even though it was never meant to be used that way people hear that song and they go oh darth maul's theme mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it's not but now it is and we have it in a movie being his theme i'm very emotional about this you guys are very <laughs> emotional <laughs> actually so um I, when I when I was watching it again today, I did notice they actually you hear the duel of the fates thing twice. It's right at the beginning and then right at the end again. Oh um, my god! It's much uh, more subtle the first time. Uh, 
So yeah, you sh- you should go see it again, Katie. Yep, uh, time number six, six, six times six for the Sith. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, I'll I'll come into your rescue, Katie, and I'll give my favorite. Um, oh man, I have literally had this soundtrack. When I'm not listening to podcasts, this has been the only music I've been listening to on my iPod for, for the last two weeks now is this soundtrack. Um, and Wait, are we talking about I, Footloose or Solo? Uh, solo. Right. Carl. Okay. Solo. <laughs> I mean, gotta Footloose is loose, great and all, you know? but I mean. <laughs> I know you got to get the greatest loose. movie ever made. <laughs> Footloose. Footloose. <laughs> you know. No. Anyways, the Solo, yes. I, I've been listening to this soundtrack on repeat. Uh, for the last two weeks now, um, and honestly, my my favorite segment of the soundtrack because I've I've listened to the soundtrack more than I've seen the movie. Obviously, I've only seen it four times. Unfortunately, I'm hoping to get to, to it this weekend, but we'll see. Um, and my favorite section is three tracks, and I will listen to those over and over and over again repeatedly. That's flying with Chewie. Mm-hmm. Train Heist mm-hmm. and Marauders Arrive. Uh-huh. That segment right there is is musically the identity of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many good things good and th- awesome things in that in that those three tra- tracks. It's really hard for me to pick. But what gets stuck in my head is the moment during the Train Heist track when the Range Troopers are on. The train heading towards Beckett shooting, and we get that statement of the Imperial theme from A New Hope. Here we go. It's coming, I swear. That was just a little bit of it, but... Yeah, but there yeah, it was I know you're a little about. bit before that. But yes, it, we get the like when they first sort of show up, and we get the dun 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 dun, dun, dun you know that whole thing. But it's um, it's done in in such a uh, a way that we've never heard it before, and it's really awesome. And that gets stuck in my head. There we go. Got it. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Do you want me to play it real quick? Sure, please. Sure, please. Here we go. I love those yep, drums under it. That's really cool. Yeah. So the whole that whole segment, the, the those three tracks, I I almost cannot listen to them individually. I have to listen to them all together. But that's the part that gets stuck in my head. So I'll I'll use that as my favorite moment at the moment. So <laughs> nice. So yeah. Sorry for throwing you both on the spot, but uh, I did. <laughs> any excuse it. to talk this soundtrack, I will yeah. take. So yeah. any any excuse to talk about Darth Maul, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so in case you, in case you're a new listener, Katie was on the show a while back where we talked literally just about Darth Maul because that's your favorite character, and you came on and led the, a great discussion on that. So if you're new to the show, I highly encourage you checking back in the backlog for the episode on Maul that Katie basically we're the guest host. Katie does a great <laughs> job of of driving the conversation. So I just yeah. I did not let you guys talk. That's okay. <laughs> like, that's fine. Everybody sit down. I'm gonna talk about Darth Maul <laughs> for the next two hours. I hope you got nowhere else to be. <laughs> that yeah. And it was okay. With I we were okay with that. That was a lot of fun. I it's still It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. 
still an, an awesome episode. So anyway, but yes, there we go. Mall and music. I think we got our M's out of the way, Carl. Go. What's next? Yeah. Well, Malik. Um, yeah, Malik. Malik, Malik, Mall and music. <laughs> Malik, Mall and music. <laughs> Lady Proxima approves. Uh, anyway, let's just move on before I embarrass myself again. Um, well, just one quick last thing, just because obviously, if you if you are in the Star Wars fan community, you're obviously aware of. Probably all of you know the news going on with the toxicity in the Star Wars fan community. Um, we talked briefly about it last week, and I think we said we said our piece then, Jason. But just just a you know just a final reminder that this show is a place of positivity. Um, and while I know that I can sometimes be negative, and, and Jason, and I, you and I both are you not you know we're honest about things in Star Wars that don't necessarily work for us, um, but we like to talk about why they don't work for us. It's not about like this is stupid, I hate it. Um, Although I'm sure I've used that statement a few times, <laughs> but um, anyway, just just a reminder that you know we do not ever want this space to be infested with any sort of toxicity. So again, we want to hope we hope to continue, and, and I appreciate some of the recent reviews and even some of the the comments on our on our social media where folks have, have pointed out the positivity of the show and how much they welcome that. Um, and we hope to continue to bring that to you. I mean, Jason and I love Star Wars, and we just want to talk about why we love Star Wars and all the things about Star Wars that we love. And this is mm-hmm. a space for that. So if you're looking for a Star Wars community to just kind of complain about Star Wars with, that's fine. There's plenty of them out there. Um, this won't be the space for you. And, and again, just a reminder, if you're going to, you know, you want to bring that negativity in into the community here, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to quietly uh, dismiss you. <laughs> so... Um, you know, because there's there's plenty of places for that, but this is not a space for that. We want to keep things positive. Yeah, you can disagree. You can you know talk about why you didn't why stuff didn't work for you, why you didn't like things. But as long as it's as long as you keep it respectful and you back it up, you know that's all we ask. And if you can't do that, well, then you're out of luck. Sorry, you're out of here. We're going to sick uh, Maul and Katie on you. So. <laughs> I don't care what universe you're from. That's got to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. But I think we've dilly-dallied long enough, Carl. Yes. We should probably start talking about what everyone said about Solo. Yeah. So, Katie, why don't you share a few of your thoughts to, to kick the conversation off since you're the guest? Oh gosh, well I just I was not prepared for how much I was going to love this movie. I I was not prepared like at all. I was definitely one of those people that was like, mm, I didn't really ask for a solo movie. Like I'll go watch it, but I didn't really ask for this, you know? And then it happened and it was glorious. It's, <laughs> it's just such a fun movie and uh I just there's so much to love. Uh, I definitely need to cosplay Kira. She was really cool and I'm just digging her like 1980s look <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> That's yes. definitely a look I need to steal. <laughs> I'm going to cosplay that 100%. And then uh, and then of course like I was not prepared for like Darth Maul showing up at the end. I am pretty sure like uh he he heard me talking about how much I love the last Jedi and I was like, "You know, I think I might like the last Jedi more than Phantom Menace." And so he had to show up on on the big screen. <laughs> To be honest, like, are you sure? Think about that one. Are you sure? Katie, you and I will be working much more closely from now on. Oh, oh my heart. <laughs> be still, oh, Katie's oh, heart. Oh, come to me on Dathomir. And I'm like, I'm already out the door. I'm gone. 
<laughs> and on her way out the door, she's like destroying the movie theater apparently too. So yes, <laughs> I just like I'm just leaving wreckage, carnage behind me. Everything's burning. Burning. <laughs> you get the fact that she completely missed, you know, Han defeat Beckett and get the Falcon. She's already on her way to Dathomir. So, oh my you know. gosh! Yeah, I feel I almost feel like the mall cameo does Han Solo a disservice because the first time I saw this movie, I I could not pay attention to to Beckett's death you know it's this big heavy emotional moment and I'm just like freaking out because oh my god Darth Maul oh my god yeah 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 Yeah. such a I mean that was such a huge surprise when I saw that you know the first the first time I saw the movie everybody right we were like what yeah Um, but to be fair one thing while it's amazing but for the casual fan it's very confusing Right. Um, And I think it was a gutsy move to throw him in there. I think it makes sense. And I love it. And I love what it has for so far as like possibility for stories. But I went with a friend last week who's not like he knows the Star Wars films, but he's not like a hardcore fan. And we were talking about that. And he goes, oh, so this takes place a little before Phantom Menace. Then I'm like, no, Um, no, no, not even close. (laughs) Right. But that seems to be a consensus among more, you know, casual viewers is that this movie is a prequel to the prequels. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's just it's just interesting that they went that route. Um, but it sounds like um, Jonathan Kasdan, as well as Ron Howard, both wanted that in there from the get-go. That wow. makes me happy. I, Ron, I, I want Ron Howard to do more Star Wars. I really too. do. Me too. Yeah, I just, I want, I want a sequel to this pretty bad. If not a direct Han Solo sequel, then like, you know, the rumored Boba Fett movie should take place after this and pick up on like the underworld threads being left here. Just, yes, all of that, please. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I agree. So I just, um, this is basically this cameo is like, if I had to make my ideal Darth Maul, like this, this has everything. This checks off all the boxes. It's everything I've always wanted because it's Ray Park reprising the role, Sam Witwer's voice. And he's wearing a plunging V-neck just, just goes completely <laughs> down to his waist. It, oh my God. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the thing about this, right, you know, Katie, you, you said that the expression that I had said for months before the movie came out, and a lot of fans said, right, like, we, did, we didn't want this movie, we didn't care about this movie, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of folks that saw it with that mentality did a 180, right, it's like, oh my god, this, this is the Star Wars movie I didn't think I wanted, but apparently I did. Um, yeah, I know, it, it's crazy how, like, going in with lower expectations, you know, you don't come out disappointed, Right. Isn't it crazy how that works? Yeah. Yeah. And but I think also at the end of the day cuz like, you know, the the idea still of the rumored Boba Fett movie which I could care less of even more so than a Han Solo movie. What this movie <laughs> has shown me is that like, okay, like they're doing good stuff, right? When when they commit to something, they know what they're doing. And I think the thing that makes Solo work though, g- just genuinely work is that you care about the characters, right? Like you care about Han, you care about Kira, you care about Chewie and Beckett and Val. You know, all of the characters have something for you to invest in, and that's what makes a good Star Wars movie. Um, and I think if you can do that with Boba Fett, I mean, they've already destroyed the mystery of Boba Fett by putting him in Attack of the Clones. And I don't mean that to sound like like angry and aggressive, but it's true. Like, Boba Fett was so beloved up until the prequels because he was this mysterious figure, right? That's just looks like a badass. And then there's all these legend stories about all these cool things he does. But then when we get, you know, kind of his backstory, it really diminishes the mystery of it. 
So I think doing a Boba Fett movie with all that we know from both you know Attack of the Clones and the Clone Wars TV series, you that that does give you room for a character arc, um, and I think that's an important thing because if we never had that backstory about Boba Fett. It really limits what you can do in a standalone movie because it's like, well, geez, how much can we show without destroying the mystery? Because up until the prequels, he was a mystery box. Um, so, I mean, there's still things about his timeline that are mysterious, but we know where he came from. We know, you know, his background. We know what he was up to when he was younger. So that leaves room for a character arc, which leaves room for a compelling story. It leaves room, but honestly, I don't know if there's enough to Boba. Mm. For him to be the main character in a movie, I think he I mean, works great as a side character or the antagonist. But I'm, I, and this is, of course, I'm completely, completely honest, coming from someone who is not necessarily a fan of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff he can do. There's a lot of great action pieces that you could do with Boba Fett and that sort of thing. I'm just not sold on the idea that there is enough. That, that, that he can carry his own movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably enough there to, you know, develop. I don't know if that works on the big screen in a way that you can carry an entire movie with him as the lead. I would have said that same thing about Han Solo, though, before this movie. I was like, yeah, Han Solo is a good foil for Luke Skywalker, but he's not Luke Skywalker. He can't carry a movie. But then it turns out, hey, he can carry a movie really well. And I mean, it, it really just has to do with surrounding him with the right people, again, like the right foils, uh, the same way they did with Han in this movie, um, giving me stakes that I care about. And, uh, and yeah, just showing me how this guy gets out of, you know, all the different scrapes and how he can, you know, work with all these really da- dangerous crime lords and stuff and still, you know, hold his own. I, I don't know. I think there's stuff there. I, I just feel like if they can make Han Solo work, they could make Boba Fett work. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, the, long story short, I definitely want a sequel to this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think it's really important. Um, which some of the comments we'll get to a little bit later is, is some 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 folks wrote in about how they felt like there was a little bit of a lack of character depth or character arc to Solo to, to Han hmm. specifically in this movie, and I kind of agree, um, but I don't necessarily see it as a purely negative thing, and we can get into that a little bit later when we get to those comments. Um, but I, I almost feel like this movie requires a sequel to make this movie even better, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I um, just had a. a an idea that popped into my head. What if we continue some of this story in the Kenobi movie? Because Han's going to Tatooine to find Jabba. Mm? Mm. I mean, I, think, I don't uh... know if that's, I don't know if that's going to work. Cause that idea just popped into my head, but that popped into my head. So I figured might as well spit it out on the podcast. Yeah. I, it, it, it certainly could. I think um, it'd be, the only the only odd thing of it is you're mixing you know a beloved character that people want their own standalone with and now with somebody else's sequel right it might people might be like oh they're you know they're not giving enough time to to Obi Wan um, yeah but and of course and now and now I'm you know completely reliving the scene where they meet in the cantina he's like you know you never heard of the Millennium Falcon should I have you know <laughs> um, so it's the, no, last the ship that made the Kessel Run less well, than twelve parsecs if you round down. 
if you're around him. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm like Obi Wan, you know, when he like does not recognize R two, like that's it's completely plausible that he wouldn't recognize Han Solo. He'd be like, "You're not Alden Ehrenreich." <laughs> <laughs> you're not Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> this is why I talked to Chewbacca. He looks familiar. You, not so much. Um. <laughs> um well, here I'm gonna I'm gonna read a couple of the responses that folks sent in. So our All first right. one comes from Travis Mollohan. By the way, if we butcher your names, I apologize. But Travis says, Solo was a great trip back to the galaxy far, far away, and I had a ton of fun watching it. It being released on Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend and playing over the summer is a perfect match. Alden nailed the part. Amelia did a great job. Woody was Woody. L3 was hilarious. Donald Glover was very suave as Lando. And the Falcon looked amazing until it didn't. Uh, I wish Val and Rio had been part of the film for a bit longer and there had been a little bit more to Enfys Nest, but otherwise the movie was exciting. I really enjoyed the triple-double crossing at the end of the movie. Kept me on my toes. Even though I got spoiled about Maul returning, that scene was still very cool and watching others in the movie who didn't know about it uh, was a real treat. So, Travis, those are some great thoughts. And, uh, yeah, man, that's poor Travis. Like, having that Maul thing spoiled beforehand, I would have been so bummed. Um, had I known before, I'm doing much better about staying away from spoilers, my friends. Um, and I'm so glad I didn't know that. Like poor Travis, like that's such a huge thing to have spoiled before going into this. Yeah, I I saw some people, uh, Nathan Butler, um, talking about how he found out about that spoiler, and it was like the week leading up to, like it was like Monday before the movie came out. He's like, I just found out about a huge spoiler. That if true, is going to be game changing for the films. I won't say what it is, but oh my gosh, if they do this, I will be so happy. And I was like, "What is he talking about?" And as soon as I saw the movie, I was like, "Oh." Mm. So apparently, it got out like that week. Yeah. So like our buddy Joe Joe Hogan, he'd seen somebody had posted somebody who went to like one of the early screenings, took a picture of it, like snuck a picture <gasps> with their cell phone and posted it on their social media. yeah like that's that's i was like did anybody like report them he's like oh i'm there's a good chance they'll get in some trouble and i hope that they do because it's like not only is that like um like not only is that like you're not supposed to do that but secondly like what a like what a jerk move right like such a jerk move man for me nobody actually said it but in the 48 hours leading up to to this movie, um, oh yeah, right, because Carl, you got to see it early. Bunch of people, mm. I guess, got to got to see this movie early. And in, in the two days before I got to see it on its actual, you know, release night, I start getting messages, and I mean like a lot mm. of messages across like you know Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, lots of messages from people who've seen this movie. Going, can't wait for you to see this. Oh my god, do a live video reaction when you see this. And like all these messages and I'm like you guys better not be talking about what I think you're talking about. Like so I had like a feeling and my suspicions, but luckily nobody actually said it. Like oh man, if I had seen a po- a picture of it before going into the movie, I would have been so mad. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Oh. Now, um the one thing I want to just maybe like so again folks that wrote in had a lot to say so we don't have time unfortunately we don't have time to discuss every little thing they're writing um the thing i wanted to hit from travis's and i think a few other folks have said it too so it'll save us time but um the idea of emphasis nest not getting enough time um Mm -hmm. or in some folks are gonna say a little bit later like they they felt like the reveal was kind of underwhelming because it's like "Mm, why do we care 
and and I <laughs> and, and I kind of agree. Like I love Enfys Nest. I love like what becomes of Enfys Nest. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of that? Like when when she pulls that helmet off, and it's you know kind of like a younger teenage girl. Um, you know, and the music is loud and bombastic as well, right? Like, did did you feel like this was a big moment? Oh, I remember in in a previous episode, Jason, you said that you thought he was she was Val and Beckett's daughter. <laughs> that that was the first thing awesome. that popped into my head when I watched the when I saw it for the first time, and then you know thinking about, it, I was like, well, maybe not. But well, no, that-, that was me too because they stayed on it for so long. Well, that was the thing is that you know she goes Beckett, and then he comes over, and then she takes off the helmet, and like, and then they stay on her face for like ever. Like, you know, like they're building up and I'm like, am I supposed to know who this is? Does Beckett know who this is? Is that his daughter? Like, I just that was where my brain went to just because of like how long they held on on the reveal. Right. And I was just all like, oh, because they know each other. I don't know. <laughs> would have been yeah. cool, though. <laughs> it would have been cool. Um, but it, it's it's just one of those things where there's just no real information about her. She's an awesome looking character. She does some amazing things. And I like the fact that she's connected to, you know, the early rebel cells out there for the Alliance. You know, she's very early on. Um, this is, you know, obviously pre rebels and everything. So, um, I, I like what we got from her. I would like more. And I feel like, she was a little underserved because of everything else that they had to do in this movie. Um, she was a, a, a fun addition, but I would have liked a little bit more exposition involving her uh, in a bit more of a concrete fashion. But even the visual guide that I've got is all like it's talking about her as if we have only seen the train heist and we only know about the masked and this nest so that's that's how the the visual guide treats it and so there's nothing about who she is under the mask in there um and it even says that the mask you know it could have been it implies that there's multiple people who have worn that mask because there's um the bad varying reports about (laughs) yes yes like the dark knight uh (laughs) varying reports about you know the age gender species you know, of, of who Enfys Nest is. So, um, that's, yeah, that's well, an interesting thing about her, but I, I would have liked more. And so I hope she, I hope she shows up in other material, but I just, you know, I do think she got underserved. Yeah. She definitely needs at least a comic. I hear what you're saying, Jason, about her being underserved. She did like, she took out Eamon and all, I guess, of, you know, Dryden's best enforcers, whatever, um, would have liked to see her be a little more, you know, present in the, in the finale, you know, uh, I don't know, do something like super cool. Like she, she jumped off a roof. That was awesome. But like, y- you know what I mean? Like yeah, Han that, gets to have this cool, like hand to hand fight, like, Hey, you know, let's see what Emphis can do. But I understand like, there wasn't time. You it's know? like 40 minutes in the middle of the movie where they're on Kessel and going through the maw, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> and she can't be involved in that. So, you know, there's yeah. that. Sure. I feel it. I do um I do really like this ongoing theme that we have in Star Wars where the rebellion is like run by young women where like you know Leia obviously and Padme and then like Emphis and it's just all like these young girls like rising up I just I think it's really cool I'm glad it's been consistent you know Oh Jin obviously 
Mm-hmm. Hera. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Sabine. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing I, I think would have been great with Enfist as well is, um, yeah, just having a little bit more substance with her. Um, so, you know, in the sense of, yeah, because like that moment just doesn't, it doesn't feel as big as they're making it out to, like both visually and musically. Um, mm-hmm. I like it. Like, I think it's really cool. I like who she is. I like what she becomes. But yeah, I mean, there's just, the, it's again like the visually and, and and musically they're telling us this is a big moment but it doesn't feel like a big moment because she hasn't really been there hasn't been anything there to put those pieces together and i'm with you jason i would have loved that that closing fight is barely a fight it's like five seconds um where they you know surprise uh you know uh, drive these men and yeah, yeah um and it's it's great but i just yeah i wish that was like a little bit of a more drawn out little fight i would have loved to see her like you know, kick some butt with her staff a little bit more. Um, yeah, you know, and so here's something, I, again, this is, you know, as we have come to learn, like speculating to Star Wars fans is often for naught, but you can't help but do it too. That's part of the Star Wars fan experience. Something I would love to see is maybe in like the sequel movie, right? Like Maul is very adamant to Kira that he wants to figure out what to do about Beckett and his accomplices. Well, what if Kira sells out Enfist? is like being behind it with Beckett and Ooh. Maul's tracks down Enfist and we get like a really cool melee fight between Enfist and Maul. I mean, obviously oh my God. Maul's <laughs> going to kill her um, because he's around and she's not. Um, and like, and, but maybe like that's what starts to bring the empire's attention to things. And again, that's what, like I, I said in the last episode, I'd still love it to see in the movie where Vader is sent by Palpatine to deal with, Maul, who's back on yes. this. And Vader just like, <laughs> I, you're not going to like this, Katie, but I would love to see Vader just like beat the crap out of Maul. And that's no, why I he love runs it. I love it. I want- <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that's, an, that's a neat idea that, that she sells out Emphis, and Emphis is the one who takes the the brunt of Maul's wrath instead of Han. Right. That's and that's a- why, like, because I don't, because Kira is still a good person. I mean, she's a very conflicted character in the movie. Um, so I don't think like she wants to you know blatantly sell out Enfys because she has something in for Enfys, but more of just yeah because it's the choice between all right well Maul is convinced Han or there was who else? yeah it's, it's Han or it's someone else so Enfys is the fall person and maybe yeah. she's even thinking well with Enfys building something up maybe she could actually oppose Maul and then I could be free of Maul right maybe she's putting her hope that Enfys could defeat Maul um, you know you never know I'd be here for that I'd be one hundred percent here for that. That would be cool. That would be nifty. So, um, but I feel like we should probably probably hit a few more because we've got quite a yeah. few and and, and we got a ways to go here. So, um, <laughs> this next one comes from a, a good friend of the show, uh, James Capron. And uh, Jason, you want to read this one? Sure. Um, he says, "I really liked your solo reaction episodes. I particularly related to your thoughts on ranking the films. I'm personally kind of over the whole idea of ranking the films because while Rogue One and Revenge of the Sith will probably always be tied for number one for me, I couldn't rank the rest of the films for the life of me. I love them all in their own way, and they're also unique while being so similar. Anyhow, to my thoughts on Solo, uh, the cinematography, visual effects, aliens, creatures, world building, and the acting were all perfect." But I think what I appreciated most about this film is that it incorporates the aspects of the prequels, Rogue One, Clone Wars, and Rebels. Um, Few things didn't work for me, mainly the opening crawl, how Han got his name, L3 and the droids' rights message, and the real-world dialogue and humor. 
But the biggest thing was, in comparison to the other movies, I thought Solo didn't have as many intense, dramatic, and emotional scenes, which are my favorite scenes in Star Wars. And I'm thinking intense on the level of, say, Jin seeing Galen's message, the immolation scene, or Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order. I wasn't necessarily expecting to see these kinds of intense dramatic moments in Solo, and I don't think the film is completely absent of them, such as Han and Kira getting separated on Corellia. I just thought those kind of moments weren't as prominent or impactful in Solo, but I also realized that this is subjective too, because everyone has their own definition of what makes a scene intensely dramatic or emotional. Hopefully I'm not coming off as negative, because I do generally like Solo, and I thought it did a great job of being a different and fun Star Wars film. Solo just isn't personally my favorite kind of Star Wars story. And I think that's okay. Well, I think that's okay too, James. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But Carl, you, you are definitely in line with James on your enjoyment (laughs) of these types of scenes. So why don't you speak to that? Yeah, no. And and, and James has got so much great stuff to say here um, as he always does. And I, when, when I'm reading that paragraph, I'm like, oh, James, you and I are the same kind of Star Wars fan. We should stand on a balcony and talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, and I think in a way he's definitely right. Like they're, they're, Rogue One was just chock full of these very intense emotional moments. I mean, that whole you know closing five minutes of that movie is just Ugh. a consistent you know, gut punch. Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't let up. Um, but some of the moments in Solo that do – I mean he, he obviously hinted at the Kira and Han being separated there on Corellia, which I think is of course a big one. And I, I love that shot of Kira's hand with the uh, dice on her finger like trembling. I just think that's a really powerful shot. Um, it's just very beautifully um, traumatic. Um, but some of the moments for me that are really emotional in this movie is Han and Chewie there having their first encounter kind of um, you know on their balcony, their moving balcony. Um, but when Han says, you know, when's the last time you could say you were truly free and Chewie responds, he says, yeah, me too. I know there's something about these two characters right there, kindred spirits who are longing for freedom. And I just there's such a beauty in that, that that's what initially is going to connect them is this desire to be free. Um, so I felt like that was a very beautiful, emotional moment. Um, the moment when Kira says to Han, you know, you're the good guy. Um, I think that's a very beautifully emotional moment. Uh the scene that I was, I was crying real hard today at the movie. I, I, I let myself cry harder when I'm by myself because I don't care. Um, <laughs> and it's the scene when Han and Kira are essentially saying goodbye. Han just doesn't really know it. The music is beautiful there. It's their theme played just on a piano. And it's, it is this beautiful musical moment. And I just feel so much for Han because Han is thinking to himself, we did it. We won. I'm going to go save my best friend. I've got my girlfriend back. Like, and I'm going to go get my shit. Like, he's just Han is in such a high in this moment that he just doesn't realize he's kissing her goodbye, and it just like breaks my heart. And then, of course, the scene of her flying by, and we just get that shot of just Han looking so sad. And then out of the you know periphery comes this big paw to rest on his shoulder, of like you're not alone. And uh, like those are the big moments for me right now that stand out. And I don't I mean, I could dive into more why I don't want to. But for (laughs) me, James, those are the moments in this film that really move me. Um, And in a way, Han himself is not an emotional character. Right. Or at least he likes to bottle that up. So I don't think you're going to get the same level of that intensity as Jin watching that message from her father or holding her dying father. Han is a different kind of character, so his way of reacting and, and processing is going to be different. But I think those moments do exist 
in this film. And it's not to say that I, I think you're wrong, James. You, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course, like, like you said, it's subjective, and I totally get that. Because the first two times I saw it, I didn't think there was too much emotionally there either. It was with more repeat viewings that it's like, oh, I'm really starting to, okay, dig into this moment. Like, ooh, this is, ooh, I'm crying right now. Great. I love crying in movies. So, um, <laughs> But. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Carl. I also love crying in movies. <laughs> That's probably part of why I went to go see The Last Jedi so many times is because there was there was no less than I think like eight different spots in that movie that made me shed actual tears. See, you know, it's uh, so funny. I <laughs> cried way more in Solo than I did with Last Jedi. I didn't cry in Last Jedi until like the last viewing, I, and I, and that really disappointed me because I wanted to. Those movement, those moments weren't really there for me in Last Jedi, like they are in Solo, which is so surprising because you would think the other way around. Well, it's because Solo's your guy. Han's yeah, your guy. He is my guy. You gotta. You gotta. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> um, well, um, for me, the the moment that really gets me in, in this movie um, that, you know, I, I cried the first time I saw it. And then every time after <laughs> the uh, the one that gets me is um, is L3. Of course, I, uh, I, I cried really hard, cried, cried really hard. The first time I saw it, just because I it was so unexpected, the way she gets shot is very jarring. You know, it's it's sudden. Like she's riding this high, you know, just screaming "Rebellion, no more subjugation!" and then <laughs> boom, like and she's down, she's out, and it it surprised me so much. And just the the tears just kept coming as as Lando like ran for her, and you could see how much mm-hmm. he cares. Like it, oh, the tears, <laughs> the tears. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his goodbye to her is very, very emotional. And um, I just now I cry in, in, you know, repeat viewings, even though I know it's coming. Uh, I start crying when she says, I found my purpose, Lando. Uh, you know, she just there's there's something very real in in that moment where she discovers like what she's for, you know, like a, a droid is built for a purpose. Right. But she has taken on all these different droid pieces and, you know, made herself new. And now she doesn't have a purpose and she, she knows what she wants. She wants droid equal rights, but she doesn't, she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to get it. And, and it suddenly like clicks this is what I'm for. And it's very, it's very real to me. It hits me very, very deep. Yeah. yeah actually real quick. Cause I, I want to follow up with that. When I was watching today. Yeah. I mm-hmm. actually cried pretty hard when, when she dies in Lando's arms. Right. And uh, you know, she's so helpless there. Lando, what's happening? You know? Um, and, and I know there's people are like, I just don't care about L3. Like why does Lando care? Right. And, and the whole thing about what, what kind of relationship they have at the end of the day, I don't care because what is, what is so important? important about that scene if you can just get over whatever is holding you up about this this is a scene about somebody who just loves someone it's, it's a partner it's a it's a sidekick it's a counterpart it's a best friend it doesn't matter and this is the thing about star wars right it's it's sci-fi fantasy it's bigger than this world who cares if it's a droid who cares if it's an alien creature who cares if it's whatever what matters is this is somebody who's holding someone who's incredibly important to them dying in their arms I mean, same thing we feel for our pets, right? Like if you've ever had to like take your dog or cat to be put to sleep because it's sick, Ugh. right? Oh, like, it's just yeah. an animal, right? Like what do you care? Well, we care because we form these strong bonds with them and there's nothing more sad than loss. And that's what Lando's experiencing there. I actually think this is the best scene 
that Donald Glover gives us because it's the only scene where he's giving us a new perspective of Lando, right? Everything else, he's just the suave guy, which is what we expect from Lando. This is an emotional Lando who's coming undone, and I appreciate that about that. And I think Donald Glover brings something in that scene in particular way more than in anything else he does. Everything else well, he, he does. Shows, yeah, he shows emotion. Yeah, humanity. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he shows actual vulnerability and what he's willing to to risk his life for. It's not just like a job. It's not just a paycheck. It's it's you know L three's life, and he shows like actual humanity. And so it's definitely his strongest scene. What what works for me as far as the emotional you know elements of this movie, um. And and this is more my bent, anyways. Is I, I enjoy the, these dramatic scenes. I enjoy the 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 scenes where they are expressing all the loss and everything, because it's it is so impactful. And I do tear up a little bit sometimes. You know, I don't I don't not much of a crier in general, but I have teared up at some of these moments. However, the big emotional kicks for me are the positive ones from this movie, like the the. The one that always gets me, and I, I grin like a stupid kid, and I want to pump my fist and like jump up and down in the, in the theater every time it happens, is when they're in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, and Kira says, Chewie, get in. And Chewie hmm. sits down in the co-pilot seat. Han looks over, and there is that connection between the two of them. I'm getting chills talking about it right now. <laughs> and it's like... And I just want to, like, pump my fist in the air and scream, yes, you know, every time. This is what is – this is meant to be. And we finally got these two in their proper places together. And and that's that's – those are the kind of things that really kick me emotionally in this movie are the positive ones, the the fist-pumping ones, the ones that you want to just, like, scream out in adulation over. So – you know, that's that's the one that really hits me every time. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point, Jason. I mean, there are so many of those moments that it's a different kind of emotion. But it's yeah, it, it's like you're excited when Han and Chewie first team up together in, in the cockpit of the Falcon or. Oh, my gosh. I cannot. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm. it's great. Um, I can't even. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm going to move along here and, and get to, to our next uh, take. And this comes from uh, Jackson Alonzo. And Jackson says, I thought the movie was awesome. It was action-packed and fun the whole way through. I also really enjoyed the flying scenes. I liked when Han used the Falcon to bat the TIE fighter into the mountainside. Once again, I found a new crush in Amelia Clark, a.k.a. Kira. She's both <laughs> beautiful and gorgeous. Agreed. Uh, finally, I really like the Darth Maul being in the movie. I finally like Darth Maul being in the movie, especially because he is one of my favorite Star Wars characters and probably my favorite Star Wars villain. Uh, keep up the good work and God bless. Um, Katie, do, yeah, you actually, yeah. do you enjoy Darth Maul as well? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, liked it. It's, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm so I, I love that Jackson highlights the moment when Han, you know, barrel ro- like twists the Falcon around, corkscrews it, and then just whacks that Tie Fighter. That's a great moment. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, I like that part where he goes, uh, where they they first you know go into the maelstrom, and then he like what does he hit? He hits like a, a you know rock or something. He's like, oh, that's on me. That's yeah. that's on me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think I think my favorite part of the the Maelstrom chase is when they blast the gun off the the Falcon and Beckett's like, "Ah, I hurt my thumb." Oh, yeah. Oh, that that and when he's trying to tell Yeah. Han, you Are they know, still on yes, us? they're still on. Yeah, like like uh, something on a on a uh, Kylac. What, what I I don't I, know what that means. <laughs> like like Kingerson's like pelt. A, like a Kingerson's pelt. Are they or aren't they? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's such it, the the. It, while I do agree that I think the Kessel Run and Maw stuff is is a little bit longer than it needs to be. Um, I also understand why it's such a big part of the movie and so central because. In a way, this is one of the most defining moments of, you know, pre A New Hope on Solo is the fact that he pulls off the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. So I think that's why they're giving such time to it. One moment I particularly love besides the, the corkscrew move is when he does the uh, landing gear thing, right, that he learned from my buddy Needles, best street <laughs> racer in all of Corellia, till he crashed and died doing this. <laughs> you know? And it's like. How many more times did you just add on and that <laughs> sentence get worse? Yeah. <laughs> and the thing I like about that is what, as they're pulling it off, um, you know, he, he, he has Chewie, you know, flood the bylaws, whatever that means. And then Chewie, like, you know, he's the one who kind of writes the Falcon and, and pulls it off, pulls off the last bit of the, the, the motion here. And Han even says, he's like, it's all you. And then when Chewie does it, he kind of like claps him. He's like, the great move, buddy. Like, I love that Han, again, gives that credit to Chewie. Um, so again, it's just, it shows the, the, what these two can do when they're both side by side. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, so uh, Jason, like, you, you want to hit Philip for us? Sure. And not, just, <laughs> don't, just don't hit Philip. Don't hit Philip. Uh, <laughs> a great guy. We, uh, Philip was, he and his wife took Jason and I out to coffee at Celebration Aww. Anaheim. They were so sweet. They're a lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely couple. Then yeah. don't hit Philip. Don't yeah. do that, Jason. Don't <laughs> not, listen not to too Carl. Hard. <laughs> not too hard. Okay. All right. Philip says, I won't go into all my feelings on Solo, which are mostly positive, but I thought I'd throw this out there. It seems like the Star Wars fan community has invested a lot of time reflecting on Ben Solo, Kylo's character, through the lens of his Skywalker heritage. The fact that Ben's last name and bloodline is also Solo seems largely unexamined. One of my favorite lines in Solo was when Kira tells Han, I know who you are, a good guy, despite his insistence to the contrary. You find this mirror to a degree in Ben's story and his insistence on wanting to be a bad guy in light of the character building in Solo. I'm really looking forward to watching the new saga films again. What a cool insight. That's, that's an amazing point, Philip. And you are the first person I've, I've heard bring this up, so... Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm really there's a line in The Last Jedi where he, where Snoke says that Kylo has too much of his father's heart in him and I I still don't really know what to make of that line and what to make of Kylo in the context of, you know, Han Solo's son. You know, cuz we're always thinking about Luke as Anakin's son and I don't really know how that translates with Kylo and Han Solo. And I really feel like 9 is going to, you know, hopefully bring me that clarity. But like having this Han Solo movie come out before nine, I think is is it's going to be interesting to go back and look at all of this and look at all of the pieces that we were given, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I just I think Philip raises like a great question that I, I don't I don't have anything profound to say to you right now. I think the question in and of itself is profound enough to sit with. 
Um, but that's a, you know such a good point that we're not focusing on the fact that Ben is also a solo. I mean, he is Ben Solo. Um, right. And it's also a name, right, that Snoke has, you know, it, it's not allowed to be his, – his name's not allowed to be said in the First Order. It's a mandate by Snoke um, that he is never to be referred to as Ben Solo. He is only Kylo Ren. Um, but I love this connection he makes about, you know, how Han is insisting he's, you know, he's an outlaw. And Kira knows the truth. And here's Ben struggling to say that he's the bad guy. And yet there is still this, you know, this pull of the light that exists within him. Um, and he's doing everything he can to eradicate it. But it's there. Um, so yeah, I just I think that's such a, an incredibly deep insight that uh, is going to take some time to ponder. And, and I appreciate Philip bringing that up. So. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. And I, I want to I'd be curious to see if more people start picking up on that after as Solo becomes, you know, more ingrained in our, you know, in the, the, the community here. Um, so. I hope that conversation comes up more between now and episode nine. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go on to, to our next one, which comes from uh, Charles Lobidot. Um, I'm sorry if I screwed up, your, but your last name just sounds so much like Lobot. It makes me so happy. So <laughs> Charles Lobot. Um, so hopefully he does not offended that I just butchered his last name and turned him into Lobot. Um, but uh, <laughs> Charles Charles sent like a, a bit of an extensive note here, but I think it's worth reading, and, and, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and do that. He says, uh, my name is Charles, and I have been listening to the podcast for about four to five years. Um, his, also, the subject line of the email was he's a 14-year-old fan. So, again, I, I appreciate that he, he's younger. Uh, he says, I was listening to your podcast before Force Awakens came out. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and uh, we're his favorite podcast. So thank you. <laughs> of course, I wanted to read that. Man, we're so self-serving. Anyway, he goes on <laughs> to say, I was first introduced to Star Wars when I was five years old at my godmother's house. She put Cartoon Network on for me to watch. The Clone Wars episode where Asajj Ventress fights Luminara and Ahsoka came on. I instantly loved Star Wars. Uh, going home, I told my parents I love Star Wars and my dad watched the original trilogy with me. That Christmas, I was given the prequel trilogy. From then on, I have been a diehard Star Wars fan, but I particularly loved the prequels. No movie opening gets me more excited than seeing Anakin and Obi-Wan's iconic starfighters enter the Battle of Coruscant. The battles we see in the prequels, I feel, are the true definition of Star Wars. The reason I feel it is important to tell you my opinion of Solo and the new Disney movies is because I am part of the younger audience that Disney is trying to target. This kid is very perceptive. I'm, he's not... Wow, yeah. Very perceptive (laughs) young man. He goes on to say, I loved Solo. Alden Ehrenreich was Han Solo. He did such a fantastic job. I remember when the movie was announced, I was really nervous and not sure about it. Now it is is in my top five favorite Star Wars movies. The prequels and Clone Wars era references in the movie made me fist pump in my seat in the cinema showing. Bosk and Aura Singh had their deserving mentions and a character played by Warwick Davis in The Phantom Menace made a cameo. It is also mm-hmm. the first time a Rodian was made has a maiden appearance in a Star Wars movie made by Disney. Rodians are my favorite aliens. Mimbin was gritty and truly felt like a real battle. The battle between Enfys Nest and Tobias Beckett was a visual feast. Can we also talk about the cameo at the end? The moment I saw his metallic flag uh, yeah, and heard his voice, <laughs> goosebumps covered my body. This was truly amazing fan service to someone like me. I still have worries, though. Ron Howard said the reason he had Darth Maul in the movie was because his son grew up watching the prequels. I feel if it wasn't for Ron Howard, we wouldn't have had a lot of the Clone Wars and prequel Easter eggs and cameos that we had. 
Um, just really quick, that's actually all that credit goes to Jonathan Kasdan, one of the co-writers, because of his he was young enough that he's been devouring um, Star Wars canon since he was a little kid. So that's not as much Ron Howard as it is Jonathan Kasdan. But um, it's it's great that, you know, Charles picked up on all these. But I just think Charles, is, he's got a really interesting story here. And like I said, I mean, I think he's, he's very perceptive of, of, of his own his story here. He, uh, you know. I think all three of us can agree that, you know, he talks about this moment when he knew he loved Star Wars, seeing, you know, Saj Ventress and Luminar and Ahsoka going at it in the Clone Wars, right? Those, those, those moments in Star Wars that, you know, we've all been grabbed by, all three of us. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I, I love that he's able to share that. Um, and it's always nice to hear a younger person's fan. And, you know, he's perceptive enough to know that, like, in a way, he is Disney's market. Um, yep. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's he, he's really spot on with what he enjoys about this movie. Um the thing he said that I definitely identified with is Alden Ehrenreich was Han Solo. I couldn't yep. agree more. To in this, I mean, as, as you both know, and it, it, a lot of folks know that listen to the show, Han Solo is my favorite character. And right when we think of Han Solo, we immediately think you know it's synonymous with Harrison Ford, understandably so. Now for me, already just with one movie, it's also synonymous with Alden Ehrenreich, and that says a damn lot about Alden. It's no discredit to Harrison at all. But these character, these actors are both Han Solo equally in their own right, and the fact that ha- you know Harrison himself called Ron Howard to really give laud and praise to Alden's performance says a lot too, because Harrison's not the kind of guy who's going to do that, um, right? And, like Ron Howard. Harrison Harrison saw the movie twice. That's a what? Lot. That's <laughs> huge. I feel like Harrison hasn't seen any movie twice. You know, yeah. just in general. <laughs> so. Yeah. I feel like he just makes movies. He doesn't watch them. No. <laughs> right. And, and But yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally in agreement with Charles here that, that Alden is definitely Han Solo. I mean, what, do you, would you guys agree? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, this kid stepped up, I feel. He, he is Han Solo to me 100%. I don't know how better to describe it than the way you guys have now where he just like has embodied this role. I mean, he's not, he's not the Han Solo from the OT, but he is definitely a younger Han Solo. I could see this kid growing up to be the Han Solo that we'd see in A New Hope. Absolutely. Yeah. I, can, I can definitely see that. I can see the growth from, from this Han to what we get in A New Hope with Harrison. And to be perfectly honest, um, since Han has not been one of my favorite characters um, in the saga, you know, I've I've enjoyed him, but he's never been someone that's always been high on my list of favorite characters. While iconic Han Solo will always and forever be Harrison Ford, when someone says Han Solo right now, first person that jumps to mind is Alden. It's It's alphabetical. (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 not not because it's alphabetical but because i love this movie mm-hmm. and i love alden's performance performance so um but yeah it's i it's hard for me to really definitively say this but alden might be my han solo hey yeah i kind of feel that too you know it, just it's because really it, it's hard to to say that definitively 100% because he's only been in one movie and we've gotten four others with Harrison. <laughs> it might but be, I- it might be because like he's the main character of this movie mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, other times I have thought of Han Solo as like Kylo Ren's dad or Leia's boyfriend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, 
I think about him in relation to other characters because, again, I feel like Han Solo has always been just this really good foil. But now that he is the main character of his own story, that I think of Alden, I think that's who his Han Solo is to me because he's more of his own guy, at least to me, you know? I can that, – that could definitely have something to do with it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's a few moments too where Alden really nails just the physicality of Han Solo. Um, mm-hmm. That the closet scene, the closet scene where he's leaning on the, the the door, it's literally right out of a screen capture from Empire Strikes Back. Um, at the end of the movie with Enfys, when he kind of like puts his hands up and like waves her away, like to say goodbye because he's not going to join the rebellion. That's so Han Solo. Uh, Beckett coming up around the corner when Han has his gun drawn. It's the exact same stance that Han has outside the bunker in Return of the Jedi. Um, there's so many of them. He's leaning over on the, the cart as they're carting out the coaxium on Kessel. Um, that's such a Han Solo uh, stance, the way he's just bent over like that. That's right it's out of just Empire. so natural. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know? Like, yeah, it's not like he's just trying to mimic it or something. It just seems so natural that he would stand that way. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's the yeah. great thing. The way his hands are on his hips consistently throughout the movie. Yeah, I mean, right, like we all are aware of the, the pre-production stuff. Like, oh, he has to have an acting coach. And we came nah. to, to learn that one of the main things the acting coach did was teach him to do stunt work because he'd never done stunt work before. Um, but also, I think he really wanted to just – he really wanted to be faithful to this character. And and he nailed it, right? Yeah. And, I, I have and yet I, to, as someone who who wants to go into this profession, I said this before, and I'll I'll repeat it here for anyone who who hasn't heard me say this: any actor worth their salt has an acting coach, because you never you can't ever judge what you're doing yourself. You have to have someone who can look at it objectively from the outside and say, and that's not coming off the way you think it's coming off. You know, <laughs> so. Um, so anybody, especially when you're, you know, taking on an iconic character from an iconic actor, you need to have all the help you can get in order to make sure the transition from the for the character is seamless. And I think that pulled that off. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I know we probably need to be moving on to other comments, but what I really liked about this one was calling out all the prequel love in this movie, in mm. Solo. I feel like we got more prequel love in this one than any than all of Disney's you know movies so far, like combined. There's just <laughs> so much. I, I, I have felt for so long that Disney didn't really care about the prequels, and they were only really interested in like you know, oh hey, remember the OT? Wasn't that great? <laughs> You know, that that kind of thing. I didn't really think they, they cared. But in this one, there was just, you know, yeah, so many references. Or a sing, mall, obviously. And just, I don't know. I feel I feel more welcome in Disney's era now. That I feel like, like the prequels exist in this universe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, J.J., yeah. as much as I enjoy Force Awakens and love J.J. Abrams, he was very vocal early on about how he really didn't care for the prequels. And that came up in the type of movie he made. Um, <laughs> well, Ladi J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, but I, I really come to appreciate that in the fan community, right? There's the the stigma of like it's it's no longer cool to just hate the prequels because they mm-hmm. aren't cool. And um, I was actually literally just talking to somebody the other night who is um, is probably right around your your age, Jason. So just a couple years younger than me. And men- she mentioned that like her favorite Star Wars are the prequels. 
because that's what she grew up with. And when she watches Star Wars, those are the ones she gravitates to. And the first time she saw the originals, like she enjoyed them, but she thought the C- you know, the CGI was terrible and everything was so fake looking and you know, it was really <laughs> cheesy. She's like, I enjoy the originals, of course, but she's like, I will always prefer the prequels. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly. Like if you were a young person who grew up with the prequels, those that in a way that's your Star Wars. Um yeah. what you gravitate towards. Exactly. And and that's like yeah, I was definitely the perfect age when the prequels came out. I was young for all of them. And uh and I love them all. And and I still love them. But uh Yeah, you yeah, know, me too. Me it's, too. It's it yeah. So I, I appreciate the fact though that like you said, Katie, Disney is clearly giving giving respect where it is well deserved to the prequels. Yes. All right. Shall I take the next one here, Carl? Yes, please do. All right. This is from our good buddy, Jeffrey Fishbach. He says, I'm with you. I love Solo. Uh, I can see myself watching Solo over and over again when we get it on home release. I loved every single new character they introduced in this film. I want to know more about Kira and Enfys Nest. And thank you, Jason. I didn't know to pick up that Lando was using them to get the Falcon out of the impound lot. I've only seen it twice. Maybe I would have seen it a third time. Third time's the charm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, Lando is totally using everybody to get the Falcon out of impound. Um, this is unbelievable. I'm going to have to speak to somebody about this. He sounds so surprised. Oh, right. sorry. <laughs> you sorry. wouldn't happen to, uh, you know, know how to deal with one of these, would you? Yes, but it'll take, you know, 5% off your cut down to 20%. I don't like it. I don't agree to it, but I accept it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this fandom needs to learn from Lando. You cannot like it. You cannot agree with it, but you can accept it. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All too true. Uh, but anyway, yes, Lando totally, totally is using them to get the Falcon out. Um, that's why he's sitting there gambling and why he's back in the game. You know, circumstances yeah. change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I love that 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 read. It's so good. He just had a little thing with his hands. It's so cute. It is. It's great. It's great. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I, I agree with Jeffrey too that I, I'd love to learn more about Kira and Enfist as well. So I'd love to see both of them in a sequel film. Yes. Oh yeah. Please. Um, Kira definitely, I think, has a lot of potential to. I mean, she could even headline a star wars movie you know she could even be a main character you know the the, the primary character of a movie yes <laughs> i so. just need i need i need an entire movie about her and maul like just doing crime <laughs> bonnie and clyde you know <laughs> i need that uh i need them like doing terrace kasi and like kira gets like the dark saber that'd be cool <laughs> like uh that Sorry, really writing good. fanfic here live. <laughs> oh, I've seen on your Twitter feed a lot of fanfic that you've been speculating about. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. If I'm not talking about Star Wars, I'm writing Star Wars fanfic. That's my life. <laughs> well, All right, Carl. All right. I'm going to get I'll get our next one here. And this comes from Ferg. And Ferg says, I thought Solo was a lot of fun and loved what they did with Han and Chewie's friendship. On the Star Wars show, Pablo all but said Dryden was a Sith. Maul's apprentice. Now that he's gonna, now that he's gone, do you think that Kira will become his new apprentice, setting her up to be the bad guy in the Kenobi movie? I love the podcast. <gasps> um, That's what I just said. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I'm reading. I, like I saw into the future. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm. I must have missed the Star Wars show where Pablo said something like that. I guess, I, I don't think Dryden's a Sith at all. Um, I don't see him as a Force user in any way. Um, I know he's like got a little bit of a Sith obsession. You know, having that piece of of you know his his that rock that runs through the middle of his desk is comes from a temple of Exar Kun, which is again a great Legends Easter egg. Exar Kun is the villain of the Jedi Academy trilogy. My favorite. Legends trilogy, um, although it's been a long time since I've read, I don't know if it holds up. But um, yeah, I I I'd, I'd have to go back and check out that Star Wars show where Pablo maybe hints at that because I don't see Dryden as Maul's. He could be Maul's apprentice, but I don't necessarily see him as a Sith apprentice. Um, no, Terris Kasi is just a form of martial art. Essentially, it's Star Wars martial arts. Um, but yeah, I could see him now moving to Kira as being an apprentice type figure for him. Um, I don't see her in any way becoming a Sith. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't see the Force at all in Solo. Which, you know, shockingly enough, because like you, Jason, that is also my favorite part of Star Wars. Odd that Han Solo is my favorite character as a result, but um, this is literally the first time a Star Wars movie hasn't mentioned the Force. Um, and I know people are like, oh, well, we get that Force moment because obviously Maul uses the Force to call the lightsaber to his hand. It doesn't really count to me. <laughs> the force is not being mentioned. It's that is literally just a fan service moment and it's fine. It's a great one, but it's not there to make any sort of statement about the force. Um, it, the force is absent from this movie. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm okay with that. Shockingly enough. Um, I know that that's, uh, that's something that shocked me too, is because the Jedi, you know, are some of my favorite parts about star Wars. And this is devoid of Jedi completely. And yet, it's in my top five. Yeah, Katie, I think you had something you wanted uh, to say, though. Yeah, I wanted to to push back on that a little bit because I felt like like L three was almost the chariot of of this movie. Like she was our our link to the force. You know, she was our force theme of this movie. In that, like, um, uh, can I spoil Last Shot a little bit? That that book. Uh, Have you I guys? Mean, I'm currently reading it. I, I, I'm not loving uh, it, so I'm like I'm a little oh, okay. over halfway through it. Have you gotten to the part where she talks about the maker? You know what yes, do droids mean when I they did. say the maker? Yep, I did. Yeah, and she that talks was a great about moment. how. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, feel free to <laughs> yeah, expound yeah. upon it. She, she spoiler talks about alert, everyone! Like... <laughs> I don't think it's yeah, much yeah. of a spoiler though. It's it's not giving away plot of the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Where she she talks about how like um you know when I talk about the maker, maybe I'm talking about all of us, the whole galaxy, you know all everybody's actions and everybody all these moments coming together to shape who we are so you know she has this whole big kind of philosophy really about what it means to make someone and to make a person and uh, you know and which of course is so personal to her because you know she she literally like takes all these little pieces of droids to to make herself and define herself and then in in this movie where she finds her purpose and then dies she's gone you know um, you have to accept, I think, um, that she does die in Lando's arms. But and when they put her in the Falcon, she's not like a second life. It's not, you know, oh, she, she's alive again. No, she died. She was gone. But she became more, which is the most Star Wars thing, I, <laughs> I think, in this movie is when we become more than what we are. And in a way, she became more than like her crude matter. You know, she uh, she was able to ascend and like um, uh, her her purpose was rebellion. And what a better place to put that rebellious spirit than inside the Falcon itself. I thought I thought that was really cool. That's a that what a cool insight. 
Right. This is why that is why you're on the show. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I would have never yeah, I, that would have yeah. never crossed my mind. So thank you for bringing that to us. So, yeah, it's a good it's a good way to look at it. I like it. Yeah, I do, too. I'm not going to push back because I love it. Um, <laughs> I remember on the last episode some or, or, or no, somebody on our social media uh, last week made the, the point of how like when Han first sees the Falcon, it, it, it plays the force theme. And um, and it's actually not the force theme. It's it's the, the like kind of the rebel theme. Um, but and I don't. I apologize. I don't remember who wrote this. But I totally agreed with them. Like I wish it had been the Force theme when Han's looking at the Falcon, because like yes, Han's not a Jedi. Han's not. But I feel like the Force is shaping some of the things in this movie still, right? Even though it's not being consciously discussed, the Force is still at work here. Um, and I just felt like that was that would have been a great moment for the Force theme, like because yes, like forces of destiny to coin a popular phrase uh from a tv short um you know it, it is <laughs> is bringing this stuff into fruition so that han can become something more through literally the vehicle of the millennium falcon um i understand why it's the rebel theme um because i think it's it, in a way it points to his destiny it points to what he'll become part of um and and he is not obviously a force user but i just i would have personally preferred the force theme there um to it because I think that I just I well, mainly because I prefer that theme, but also I think it it would have worked just as well um, to show that that's what's moving Han forward here. So yeah, it's just it's too much. I think of a coincidence that Han would round that corner and there's the same ship that his father built. You know, not literally, but the same type of ship that his father built. Maybe his father did build that exact ship. You know, if if he if he did. Like what a coincidence for Han to walk around the corner and there it is. That that is absolutely the force at work. You know, yeah, it, they, it out of all the ships in the galaxy. You know, right? Yeah, and and I I think what it is is this movie gives us more of an idea of destiny and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the substitute term for the force uh, with these characters is destiny and fate. And that sort of thing. And luck, you know, because that's a big deal for Han. Uh, he doesn't talk about it as much, but he definitely lives like that. Um, and so with these characters, with this, you know, spectrum of the the galactic social class, those terms sort of take on what we generally see as the forces role um, here in this movie, I think. Yeah. There's a so just for a quick second, I'm gonna give this like a uh, a biblical uh, comparison. In in the Old Testament, the book of um, Esther is the one book in the entire Bible that never directly mentions God, um, and it's essentially a story of chaos where you know like the Jewish people are about to be eradicated because somebody's jealous of them and he's making up lies about them. But there's a Jewish woman who they don't know is Jewish who kind of infiltrates the king's palace and ends up marrying the king. And she uses her, um, you know, her, her status as queen to ultimately save the Jewish people. And there's a character in that story named Haman. Um, and I, every time I watch solo, I really want that character's name to be Haman, not Amon. Because, <laughs> right. And it, it is, it's about outsmarting this character, Haman. And in every, I don't remember the name of the Jewish holiday where they read this story every year, but 
it's it's the 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 ritual custom is when whenever Haman's name is mentioned, you you're supposed to boo and hiss literally <laughs> because he's the villain of the story, and then you like yeah. applaud and laugh at him at the end because like his wiles are turned against him. And even though God is never directly mentioned in the story, it's showing how this this woman of of deep faith, and it's never like it's never explicitly shown that she's like deeply faithful in God, but she just shows her faith towards her people and that faith is what saves the people um even though god is never directly involved and and i feel like in some small way that's kind of how solo is working jason to use like this term of destiny of you know there is something shaping these events and while no one's consciously using the word the force and maybe this is me reading too much into it which i want to do um <laughs> i just i do feel like even though this is a star wars story and all star wars stories in some way contain the force and i feel like this movie does have those moments, even if they're not consciously stated as such. So, and, yeah. and Katie, I feel yeah. like your example is so freaking pinpoint perfect. So, uh, oh, and I realize I just contradicted myself because I said, "Oh, it's never mentioned," but here I am saying, "Well, maybe it's not directly mentioned." So, man, I'm an, oh, I'm, an I'm an enigma <laughs> of hyperbole. Um, so, but yeah, so good stuff. Um, so our next, our last two uh, responses are, are, are very, very long. So um, I just want to hit, hit a couple of the highlights. And, and one comes from Patrick Rainier. And Patrick is great. He, he responds to almost every episode. He sends us a nice little email. Um, and Patrick has a lot of great stuff to say here. Um, but I'm just going to focus in on a few of the things that, that he said, um, specifically things that I think could, could, can garner a little bit of conversation. Um, so... Um, I, he, he makes this point about so he, he broke his 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 comments up into a uh, the good, the bad, and I think that's it. Yeah, the good and the bad, um, <laughs> which I guess makes sense. Um, but uh, one of the things that he mentions for the good that hasn't really been mentioned at all in in any of our conversations, Jason, um, is he says that, that the movie's not on a galactic scale. It was nice to have a Star Wars film that wasn't about saving the galaxy. It showed how people had to live and do stuff they have to accomplish to survive. It was fun, and I want more stories like this. I think that's a great point. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Like, the fact that this is, like, this is a very zoomed-in story, right? It's a very personal story in a way that we've never really had in Star Wars. Even Rogue One, right? There, there are galactic consequences and stakes. These are all very personal. Uh, I really I appreciate Patrick pointing that out. What do you guys think about that? I think that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that's that's absolutely true. And and yeah, they're they're very personal stakes, but I I like it when when it's personal stakes. Um, this is going to seem random, but my one of my favorite movies, Inside Out, um, the the Disney Pixar movie, and the the stakes are just entirely personal. It's just you know the the happiness of one little girl, but because it's so zoomed in and because it feels so personal like that, you you really care, you know. And and so yeah, I don't feel like it, you know everything in Star Wars has to be on this you know huge, you know we're going to determine the fate of the galaxy. <laughs> um, if it if even if it's just about uh, you know, does Han Solo get his ship? I, I really care because Han really cares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, even when Star Wars does its, you know, the, the galaxy spanning galac- you know, galactic scale sort of stories like we have with a lot of the saga movies, um, it works best and it is most impactful when we take a moment from the galactic conflict to zoom in on what's going on with a person, 
whether it's Anakin and his struggle with, you know, the dark side trying to save Padme, whether we're zoomed in on the hero's journey for Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy set against the backdrop of a galactic civil war, or we're dealing with the interpersonal turmoil between two characters on opposite sides of a war with Rey and Kylo and how they work together, how they fit together in this whole grand tapestry. Um, Star Wars works really well when it takes the time to zoom in and focus on people. And while we definitely do some planet hopping and we're kind of all over the galaxy, the fate of the universe isn't at stake here. But the fate of these characters' lives, their universe, is in jeopardy. And that's what matters. So it's a great point. Um, so I like it. Yeah, I do too. And and, and he goes on uh, – Quite, for quite a bit about other things that he really liked. Of course, the last thing he mentions it quite a bit is Maul. He really enjoyed having Maul there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and and again, Patrick, I you wrote so much good stuff, and I apologize that I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of it. But one other thing I really want to hit on that he sent in um, is, is his point about Enfys Ness. And I he thought he had a really neat idea here, so I'm going to read this. He says, I really liked Enfys Ness, but I have two problems with her. First, we didn't see a lot of her in the movie. I don't think she is the new Phasma, but I really wanted to see more of her. My second problem is her reveal is not rewarding. I don't expect an I am your father, but I just came out of it. I came out of left field. Now, when I am talking about the reveal, I'm not talking about Enfys Ness gender, but that her, her group or that her group is early rebels. She says the two scenes we see before show that the cloud riders try to kill our main characters and they followed them by putting a tracker on them. I would have liked, and this is the part that I really enjoy, so pay, so pay attention. He says, okay. I, would have, I would have liked to see a scene of Enfys and her gang after putting on the tracker, helping a family from some range troopers on Vandor, or something like that to make the audience think, is Enfys really the bad guy? I think that's such a great point that Patrick has. Again, to, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, you know, this idea of, of Enfys reveal is, is meant to, it's, it's portrayed as this big moment that doesn't really pay off in a way, right? Like, it, to use Patrick's word, is not quite rewarding, and I agree. I really like this point that he makes, though, about maybe just having a little scene with the Cloud Riders doing something good, right? And it just kind of, like, throws you through the roof of, like, wait a minute, wait, I thought they were the bad guys. Because that's a great point, like, and, and, you know, right, the only thing we see them doing is trying to, they're not necessarily, like, I don't think their sole intent is kill the main characters, more of just steal this thing from them. And if we have to kill them, we will. Um, but, you know, I don't know, maybe that takes away from the big reveal, but I really like this idea that Patrick shares about having some sort of scene that throws us through the loop of whether or not these people are actually are the bad guys. Um, but I don't know, what do you guys think of that? Um, I think it's a neat idea. I don't know if it would have worked well with the story because we are really focused in on traveling with Han and the crew of the Falcon there, um, especially at that time. And things are really starting to ramp up for them and their mission, and we have to know if it's successful. So if we take a time to you know, give this little extra scene to Emphis Nest, when she doesn't have much to w- – w- that has nothing to do with Han or the greater mission, I don't know if it works from a storytelling perspective. Now, 
or not a storytelling perspective, but a, a filmmaking perspective. Now, we do kind of see a bit of that sort of compassion once it is revealed that, you know, they're working against uh, Crimson Dawn and for the rebels. Um, and we see how they treat the villagers there on Savarine, um, the way they protect them, with how she interacts with the little kid, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I also think it would have lessened the tension of her appearance on Savarine as well. If we had seen that, because we've gone for so long on this journey that we've almost forgotten Enfys put the tracker on the Falcon. And then all of a sudden she's there and it's like, oh, great. Now we're going to deal with this and then Dryden. How are we going to get out of it? You know, if we had seen them do something good, you're like, well, let's see what happens first. You know, it wouldn't have been so like, you know ready to grab your blasters at the sign of Memphis nest um, <laughs> in that moment. So I think it's a great idea. I like to think that maybe they did that off camera, but <laughs> in the way that they're filming this and the way they're telling the story, I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have been out of place. Yeah. I, I find myself agreeing more with, uh, with Jason. Um, I, I agree. It would have been a little out of place and it, it would, yeah, it would have created that doubt within the audience, but it also would have taken away some of that tension of like the, you know, the big standoff at the end there where you're like, Oh, how is this going to shake out? How are they going to get out of this one? Especially since, you know, at, at that point you are kind of supposed to think that these people will, will are willing to kill our heroes. Uh, if, if it means obtaining the coaxium, uh, and and I think it would have kind of taken away from, I don't know, you, you're kind of supposed to, I think, side with Beckett a little bit when he's all like, he doesn't really want to work with these people. And you kind of understand why, because like, you know, Rio and Val would still be alive if Emphis Nest hadn't showed up. And if like they'd gone out of their way to show Emphis Nest as sympathetic, you know, before that reveal, it, I, I think it would have taken some of the punch out, out of it. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point too. <laughs> yeah, um, but that being said, I mean, and, and several folks have hinted at this. I'd love to see more of Enfys Nest moving forward, whether it's again in a sequel to this movie, which I really think we need, um, or oh, Enfys Nest is the new Maul. <laughs> yeah, um, she's the character. Like at the end of the movie, everybody's like, "Oh, you wasted her. <laughs> Bring yeah, what, her back." <laughs> and did you guys see? I, and I can't, I can't think of the actress's name. And for the longest, I don't. Hopefully, she's been added at this point to IMDb. IMDb. Her name was not listed at IMDb as the cast, and she wasn't even invited to the world premiere because they didn't <gasps> want anybody to know that. Like, cause they didn't want people asking who she was or who she portrayed. Rude. So she, yeah, I, right. Isn't that kind of rude? And like, That's they're doing that to, to reveal, to, you know, to keep the secret safe, but it's like, I don't know. They had Ray Park there. That's yeah, a way Ray bigger Park reveal. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I mean, but you can, you can get away with that. He's an old star Wars family. You right. know, well, you and they, McGregor they was there people from to be fair, old star Wars family, you know, yeah. Ray Park went to the force awakens premiere. That's true. <laughs> so. Well, did you guys yeah. see, I mean, like obviously Ewan was at the world premiere. So yep. real quick, I, my, my buddy Greg was saying that. So right before we saw the movie, the first time he's like, who do you think will be like the big, like, kind of like thrown in character that we all want to see, but maybe won't suspect. So we were talking, you know, is it going to be Boba Fett? Is it going to be Jabba? Um, or could it potentially be Obi-Wan? I said that I didn't think we'd see either Jabba or Boba Fett. 
Um, some of our friends were saying that they could definitely see Jabba, maybe not Boba Fett, save him for his own movie. But Greg was saying, and I thought this was neat because you know, like he's like, well, maybe like they go to Tatooine or something towards the end of the movie, and they go into the cantina, and we just see Obi Wan sitting in the background. That's it. He doesn't do anything. He's just sitting there because people would lose their minds. Oh yeah. Um, but, oh yeah. yeah. But I'm also it's glad gone. that they didn't because this movie's way too soon for that. Um, you know, yeah. So, uh, and again, that's why I want to see the sequel. You know, when people. People are like, oh, gee, Han's going to go like mess up with Jabba. No, no, no. He's just starting. He's relate- like, it's very clear in A New Hope that Han has had a long relationship with Jabba. I mean, if Han had just screwed up once, Jabba wouldn't have gone personally out of his way to confront Han in the spaceport. He would have literally just continued to send assassins to kill him. That's it. Um, right? When we get to A New Hope, I mean, this. so when Solo ends, it's 10 years before A New Hope. You know, in those in that decade, we can assume that Han works quite a bit with Jabba and builds a rapport enough that Jabba respects him. You know, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just got way off topic. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we have one last uh, last uh, uh, thing we we're gonna we we're gonna address in the episode, and this comes from Sartaj Singh. Um, and Sartaj is he has a a, a very big blog, um, and he wrote up like a very in-depth movie review for solo and i'm going to share that when when the with this show when it's posted it'll the link to that blog post will be in the comment section so certainly check out sartage's review because it's great sartage has written wonderful reviews for the last few star wars movies and, and i've loved reading them but for the sake of time and and really when it comes to a review it's tough to like just snip out parts of it and sartage is also going to be on the show in the next couple of weeks so he can say more when he's on but uh, the one thing I really want to hit on, and, and, and Sartage, you know, is overall very positive about the movie, but the thing that he is he critiques quite a bit, and, and I certainly understand his critique, is the idea that Han doesn't feel very human. He doesn't have much of a character arc, and, and Sartage makes the point of like, oh, you know, I mean, the, all these things are happening, but we never see Han really react to it. So it kind of lacks that character arc. And I'll admit that the first time I saw it, that was the only thing I was a little disappointed in is I kind of wanted to see a little bit of a stronger arc to Han. He's essentially the same character throughout the whole movie. And in a way, he's always kind of heroic. Um, But the reason I'm actually really okay with the fact that we don't get it here is because this movie all takes place in a couple of days. And all of these big kind of traumatic things happen to Han very quickly and sequentially that he doesn't have time to process them. And again, that's another reason I want the sequel is Han is going to struggle with having to kill his father figure in Beckett, having been abandoned by the, you know, the woman of his dreams. Um, he just doesn't have time for it in this movie. Um, and I think that's why we don't see it. Um, what do you guys think about that? The, the idea, though, that like Han doesn't really have that strong of a character arc. Um, I, to an extent, I see the point. Um, but you and I have talked a lot about, about the themes of this movie, the theme of freedom in particular, mm-hmm. and Han gets his freedom. He achieves that goal. He is able to, you know, go from dreaming about it and, and wishing about it at the beginning of the movie and finally being able to, in some sense, achieve that freedom by the end of it as he and Chewie fly off in the Falcon and it is theirs. Um, and so I think thematically he, he has an arc 
maybe not specifically character wise, but that is to be expected because he's kind of, you know, this rough and tough, you know, smuggler who doesn't let himself get too attached, too involved until we hit a new hope. We can't have too much of a of a character growth uh, with him because we have so much later and so much more you know stuff that is very important to who he becomes um you know at a, at a later point so i'm okay with it i can see where he said you know how how he comes to that conclusion that there is no big character arc i think thematically he achieves what he's after but you know this is one part in a character uh, in a character's life that now spans five movies so we can't have a dramatic character arc every time he's on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like if if the complaint is that he doesn't react enough to stuff, I feel like if Han Solo was falling down on his knees and screaming in agony and wailing when Kira leaves, we'd be like, that's not Han Solo. Mm-hmm. That's who is this? Kid? What's he doing? We, <laughs> we, we would be so upset. Um I feel like it's very much in Han Solo's character to kind of compartmentalize things and put them away and, you know, not have these big emotional displays. Um, That being said, I I kind of, I almost define a character arc as if, if a character can make a decision at the end of the movie that they would not have made at the beginning of the movie, then that character has grown and had an arc. And for me, um, I think, I don't think Han Solo would have shot Beckett at the beginning of this movie. I don't think he would have shot somebody who, was his kind of close friend like that. Mm. You know, I I just, I think that was something that he kind of grew into over the course of this movie, just becoming a little more jaded, a little more closed off. It's um, almost a regressive arc. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he's still, he's still, you know, he's still open to, to love. You know, he has Chewie. He's not pushing Chewie away, but at the same time, I don't, I really don't feel like he would have been like, oh, Beckett might shoot me, so I'm going to shoot him. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, and and real quick, you know, Sartaj, I hope this doesn't feel like, you know, we're attacking your point because I'm also – I'm really leaving out a lot of what he has to say and he articulates his point very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I'm not doing justice by literally just summing things up in a few short words. Um, and he does have some good points. Um, and, and again, like when he when when he's on in the next couple of weeks here, I'd love for him to talk a little bit more about this. And again, I, I encourage you when when I post his blog post to go ahead and read his review. It's 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 wonderful. Um, and uh, you know, and, and he, I mean, I remember because at the end of the review, he says, you know, this was not the stole, the Han Solo story I wanted. And I don't take that as him being one of these you know annoying whining fanboys who's just whining for the sake of whining. Like he, he has his genuinely interesting points and you know and as to why this you know fell a little short for him and i think they're really great um but i just i i'm hoping in on that because i think he's giving us some great food for thought here something to talk about um and uh, i i appreciate what both of you just said jason and katie like the fact that that's that's not han right like we're not gonna and i don't think sartage was trying to imply like oh we needed to see han on his hands and knees crying because i don't think that's it either but i think you guys are really hitting the point that like Han is responding the way Han would respond. Um, And, uh, you know, one thing that really I was thinking about a lot is the way the movie ends and that Chewie is there to witness all of this with Han. 
Um, and it just got me thinking about the end of A New Hope, right? When Han decides to come back. Um, and again, in the radio drama, which again, oh, I love the A New Hope radio drama. Um, Han mentions to Luke and Leia after, you know, after coming back to Yavin that Chewie had a big, you know, Chewie convinced him to come back. And we never really get that, right? That's all obviously off camera. And it was just, it just got me thinking about um, the thing we learn. One of the big lessons I learned about Han Solo from this movie is that Han is intensely loyal to people. Um, it's something that I admire about Anakin Skywalker, right? We get that specifically in the Clone Wars. But Han Solo is similar in the sense that he's very loyal to people, not causes, um, right? Like that's why he certainly has no interest in joining Enfys Nest in her early rebellion. Like he's right. not loyal to causes. He's loyal to people. And I think the reason he sticks around with the rebellion as much as he does is because there's a loyalty he has now to Luke and Leia. It's not the cause, really. You know, he's not part of the cause, really, until Return of the Jedi. That's when he really buys in. The only reason he goes back is it's about Luke and Leia. It's not about the rebellion, I don't think. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. And again, I, I would love to maybe get this at some point expanded and maybe just like, you know, like a short story or something. That conversation that they have on the Falcon as they're leaving Yavin, where maybe Chewie's pulling this up to say, like, look, you know, remember when you lost all those people you cared about? Don't let that happen again. We need to go back. Right. Like this is the family that you've been rejecting since Kira and Becca and, you know, right. Like reminding Han of this early foundation where Han is ultimately looking for family, for connection. And he loses it. I mean, he loses. Yes. Rio and Val don't super count because they die early. But Beckett and Kira, especially like Beckett is the father figure he wanted his part. He refers to him as his partner. And, you know, he's abandoned by Beckett at the end. And Kira is the woman of his dreams that, you know, the girl he's intensely in love with that leaves him. And I feel like, you know, it's not until he meets Luke and Leia that he finds that connection again. And I just think it'd be really neat if Chewie used this as evidence to Han as why you need to go back. Sorry, that was yeah. really that was really long winded. I apologize. No, I feel it. I feel that so so much. I I very much agree because I feel like um I feel like the moment when Han comes back for Luke and Leia is is when that's the moment where he becomes better than Be- Beckett because you know we talk about well Val and Rio don't really count as as Han's family but they were very much Beckett's family. And, you know, before they died, I think you were talking about this last week, Jason, you were talking about before they died, um, Beckett was open to love. He was open to new relationships. Uh, You know, uh, Val says that he puts his faith in the wrong people. You know, Uh, he knows Han and Chewie for all of two minutes. And he's always like, and he's like, you're part of my crew now. (laughs) He just automatically (laughs) loves them. But then the minute Val and Rio died, he's done. He's like, I'm, I'm not, you know, I have Chewie and Han and that's it. We don't want Kira. We don't want Lando. Like, no, he's, he's out. And that's kind of what happens to Han. I think after he loses Kira, you know, Kira doesn't die the way Val dies, but he does lose her. And so, you know, he's like, I have Chewie and, and no one else that that's it. And it's not, I think until a new hope that I think that's when he becomes better than Beckett because he opens himself up to love again. And so, yeah, you're right to have Chewie be all like, you've been here before. You you want to be better than Beckett, don't you? And Han being like, yeah, you're right. I do. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Be cool. <laughs> that, that's a great point. And, you know, we can we can read into just about anything Chewie says. 
because, you know, <laughs> he, we don't actually know the exact words. So we can, like, fill in any of this stuff we want. Um, as You're what, touchy. Talking about. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're touchy. Oh, my gosh. That's great. He says two words, Han. Don't don't jump down his throat. God. Um, but anyway, no, it, I, you know, Chewie also shined in this movie. While oh, we've yeah. talked a lot about Han because he is the main focus, Chewie shined a lot, too. And we get to see the the compassion that he has and the also the loyalty. Um, and that's why Han and Chewie get together. And my favorite stuff in this movie is Han and Chewie stuff. Like when they when they have their moments and they do their their stuff together. It's like it's ah I get I get Shower so happy. together. <laughs> uh, we couldn't have maybe done this one at a time. No, they really could not. No. <laughs> oh man, that shower is gonna smell like a wet dog. Um, oh yeah it is. <laughs> Now um, well, probably already did. Um, but I have a question. Dog. I have a uh, question. <laughs> How do I get a ring that has Darth Maul on speed dial? Like that's. <laughs> uh, I want one of those. Like Kara's just all like, "This ring is mine now," and it has Darth Maul on speed dial. Like what? I want one. <laughs> yeah, that scene. All I could think of because of Amelia Clark and Game of Thrones, which I also mm-hmm. adore. I, all I thought was like, oh, she's just playing Game of Thrones in the Star Wars universe now. Um, yeah, she's just like climbing up that ladder. Yeah. Know it. <laughs> yeah. So um, so for the sense of time, I'm going to start wrapping this up here. And, and again, thank you to all of you who took the time to send in these emails. They're just your insights are, are phenomenal. And to those that we weren't able to get every last word on, uh, apologies. But again, um, they were read and very much appreciated. Um, and uh yeah, you know, Jason, I feel like we need to do one more week of solo. I don't know about you. and I mean, I genuinely mean that. I would love to talk just more broadly, like themes and some of the characters that we still never really touched on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is going to be the closing um, closing remark because I, I, I just I feel like we got to do one more week of solo. Um, I, I agree. I, I need one more week of solo, which this means I'm going to have to go watch it again over the weekend. Um, oh shucks! Oh no, you have to. Oh, <laughs> poor Jason. I, it's such a burden. Yes, uh, a surprise to be sure. But it will. But it will. Yeah, I mean, well, my goal at this point is like I've, I, I, I did see it nine times. I plan to see it ten, and then I'll probably be done for sure until it comes out for home release, which I can't wait for, by the way. Um, oh. But. Uh, yeah, I, I just I feel like there's still so many things I want to talk about that we haven't that I, I, we just got to give this one more week of love. Um, I agree. I so. agree. There was this was a great conversation. I'm really glad we got to read all these responses. Katie, I'm so glad you got to join us and for this conversation. This is amazing. Oh, me too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah. Agreed. Um so you got any anything else we got to close with Carl? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, so we'll finish out our solo discussion next week, and 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 we'll introduce either a matchup or a poll at the end of next week's episode. For but for this week, uh, uh, I think that'll I think that's going to do it. Yes, and Carl, if people want to uh, send in their thoughts on the episode, any additional thoughts they want to get in on the conversation with Solo or anything else, where can they do that? Well, of course, our uh, social media, facebook.com slash Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Wampaslayer. 
And um, always feel free to send us emails at wampusairpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support our show on the Patreon page, head over to patreon.com slash wampusairpodcast. Yes. Um, and Katie, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they do that? Because they should. They absolutely should. Yeah. Come <laughs> hit me up on Twitter um, at Dameron. Uh, I have really good times over there, and it's mostly just prequel love and me screaming about Darth Maul. But it's it's fun. It's fun. We have fun. <laughs> it yes. cracks me up. It cracks me up. So yeah. And Katie, again, thank you so much for being on the episode. Absolutely. Anytime, you guys. Anytime. It's always fun here in the Wampa's Lair. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Carl, you got anything else before we wrap this up? No, I just I can't wait to see Solo again. <laughs> I know. Me too. All right. Well. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 287, Secret Battle of Pretend. For Carl and Katie, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.